0: This is The Visible Hand, a podcast about organizations, economics, and management. My name is Jordi I vidal and I am an associate professor at the Department of Management, London School of Economics. My guest today is Zoe Kallen, assistant professor of economics at Harvard Business School. Today, we are going to talk about her paper, The All Boys Club, Smooshing and the Gender Gap, joint work with Ricardo Pérez Truglia. Soy, welcome to the program.
1: Oh, thank you very much for having me. So, soy, the gender
0: gap is the difference in outcomes between males and females. This can be in terms of performance, wages, promotion. What is specifically the type of gender gap that you study in this paper?
1: Oh, that's a great question to start with because there's so much confusion about what the gender gap actually refers to. So, in this paper, what we consider is the gender gap at the level of the organization as a whole. So without controlling for anything like job title or skills coming into the job, what do we see as the gap in if we just take all the men and all the women working at this particular firm?
0: You can think of the conditional gender gap and the unconditional gender gap. You are studying the unconditional gender gap.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Of course, an explanation for having an unconditional gender gap is that for whatever reason, the females in the organization are of different types than the males in the organization.
1: Yes, I think if we were to assume we lived in a perfectly fair world, then you're right. The naive interpretation would be that the gap arises just because women take different types of occupations, have a different skill set than men. And so what we see is just a reflection of what people are actually doing differently.
0: What other explanations, perhaps less naive or, you know, more intricate, have been proposed by the literature generally or specific to your organization about what explanations for the gender gap potentially are?
1: Yeah, so I think a lot of work has been done on the questions of why disparities arise between men and women. And so there are many different contributing factors that we know about. Stepping back and looking at the literature as a whole, there's sort of two explanations that are, I think, very exciting still, and they seem promising. One would be issues around family obligations. So if you have inequality in the home, it might be the case that then the female who's taking care of a child has less time and more constraints preventing her, per se, from going through the same career trajectory as, say, her male counterpart at home. So essentially the constraints in the home are are creating inequalities in the workplace. And then there's sort of a related set of explanations that also have to do with just the type of job characteristics that are amenable to the things that women do differently than men outside of the workplace. So to be clear, if you think of women as having additional time constraints for whatever reason, or say being less mobile between where they can possibly live relative to where they work, then there are constraints that occur in the workplace, You know, namely the, a firm which doesn't allow flexible hours or a firm that doesn't allow for remote work or long distance commutes. Something like that will then end up contributing on the, on the workplace side towards creating better opportunities more suited for men and, and less equal opportunities for women. So those are sort of the two sides of the same coin. And I think that that's sort of where, when we approached this project, that's where we would have thought the largest, you know, outside of differences in skills and occupations, we would have thought that these types of flexibility, preferences and opportunities were contributing the most.
0: But in your paper, you look at an alternative explanation for this gender gap. What is the explanation that you propose in this paper?
1: So basically there, you know, there had been... um, Prior work to ours suggesting that if you sort of take the gender gap at the level of the country and decompose it into the various components that have to do with differential hiring within a workplace versus the part that has to do with sort of the choice to leave the workplace, maybe to have a baby versus to, you know, so move in and out of the labor force for other reasons. If you decompose it, you know, work that's been done by my colleagues at Georgetown in the context of the Swedish environment, suggests that the vast majority is still due to differential promotion rates inside of a firm. So that was sort of my co-author and I, Ricardo, and we started to look inside the workplace to see why was it that men were getting promoted at different rates than women? We, you know, so we had an open mind in terms of, we didn't know just what types of mechanisms were at play inside the workplace until we spent a lot of time there. When we spent time in the field, it was fairly, uh, you know, one hypothesis really jumped out at us, which was men are spending so much time socializing together in the workplace. Just in general, socializing seemed to play a big role in the decisions about who did what types of work and whether the manager wanted to promote a particular person. So we started with this perspective that socializing is a factor that hasn't been closely looked at and is a big part of everyday life at work.
0: This implies that male workers are more likely to have higher opportunities to socialize with their managers if their managers also happen to be males relative to females.
1: Yes. So now now you're starting to talk about what we actually found.
0: Well, I was asking you about the gender gap, so therefore you are telling me that there are differences in promotion rates for men and women, and you have started to talk about the role of the social interactions between managers and workers. So what I'm trying to say is that this role of social interactions have to be differential for male and female workers, if it is going to explain the gender gap.
1: You're totally right. So when you just look at the overall gender gap, it looks like it's around 20% in the organization we study, which is a commercial bank, a large commercial bank. If you start to look more closely at where the differences in promotion rate come from, you're totally right. What we find is that depending on the gender of your manager, a male will be promoted at a different rate relative to women. So to be really clear, if a male employee is paired with a male manager, We see that they have a promotion rate that starts to outpace their female counterparts. And we don't see a similar boost in promotion rates for women, either when they have a male manager or a female manager. Now the gender just doesn't seem to make a difference. So over time, the, the sort of the advantage that a male employee gets from a male manager, we say can explain up to a third of that gender gap that I described to you in the organization as a whole. So
0: let me just recap here then. There is a gender gap this gender gap, as you said earlier, it matters a lot whether we think about it as conditional or unconditional. And the reason that we don't want to make it fully conditional, that is conditional on the actual pay grade or the fact of having got a promotion, is that the act of getting a promotion may itself be something that affects differentially men and women.
1: Yes, I totally agree with that. So you're right, if women are systematically getting... Promoted less frequently than it can be that, you know, just comparing within title, you'll see no gender gap, but you have to step back and look across layers of the organization to see where the differences are coming from.
0: Then your explanation of the difference in promotion between males and females has two parts. The first one is that the gender of the promoter matters. That is, that male workers are more likely to be promoted relative to female workers when their manager is male. The second is that the mechanism through which the gender of the promoter matters is the differential opportunities that it provides for socializing with the boss, which you call the defense in potential force mushing. Can you tell us a little bit more about the setting for this paper? I know that there are some confidential elements. You cannot disclose the actual name of the organization, but can you tell us, broadly speaking, how big it is, how it is organized, and so on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's right. So because this is a paper about gender gaps and disparities in, between men and women, the, the organization would prefer not to be me. But what I can tell you is that so it's, it the headquarters are in Southeast Asia, and there are approximately 10,000 employees and they're spread across different regions. So this is actually an important part of the research design because they have establishments that are in some parts with a, that were colonized quite early by the French and other parts that are actually under regions that were um, under communist rule for much longer. There's a lot of heterogeneity in terms of cultural norms at the the location of the establishment where the work is taking place. And so it's a commercial bank. There are many different types of occupations. Those occupations are spread across these different regions. Uh, You know, one measure we have that's a very important measure for performance is gonna be actual sales revenue generated by these employees. So we can see, you know, conditional on being promoted, Were you more likely to be a a high achiever in terms of the bottom line for the firm?
0: Uh, Is it the case that the sales revenue of those who are promoted is higher than the sales revenue of those who are not promoted? Is sales revenue a good predictor of promotion?
1: So in general, yes. Those who are higher performers are more likely to get promoted. When we zoom in and look at male employees who get paired with a male manager and compare those male employees that do not get assigned a male manager and ask, are their actual sales revenue generating capabilities any different? There we find that they're very similar. So in essence, this check that we have, like are males who are under male managers getting promoted because they're outperforming their female counterparts or their male counterparts who get assigned to a female manager, we find the answer is not the case. So you know, you might have had many hypotheses as to why being paired with a mail manager made you a candidate for promotion. One of those reasons would have been, you know, you're more motivated to work with your mail manager or not only are you more motivated, but your mail manager actually communicates more clearly to you to do well. Any of those reasons would have generated a corresponding boost in the sales revenue generated. So that's part of the way we rule out of reasons for this advantage.
0: Just generally, can you tell us what do managers do in this bank? Of course. What is the role of managers?
1: Managers will do several things. One important set of tasks is just assigning people to do the relevant work. And then another is to submit performance ratings for each of the workers. So managers are in charge of allocating work, but then also reviewing how well it's performed.
0: And you don't have information on these performance ratings, do you?
1: We do. So let me explain to you why they're not the centerpiece of the paper. So the performance ratings themselves are, like promotions, subjective in the sense that the manager basically, to in order to promote a worker, has to submit a performance rating that's a top score. And as a result, the performance scores look a lot like The promotion choices. And so there's not that much variation we can see in terms of whether or not the scores are following a different pattern. In fact, these are sort of two measures of the same thing.
0: I see. So the correlation is very strong because these performance measures are used to justify these promotions.
1: Exactly. It's the same person making the same decision.
0: So this is a bank in which the distribution of wages within a pay grade Is not very wide. That is, your salary is pretty strongly determined by what pay grade you are assigned to. So, here, the unconditional wage, at least before conditioning on pay grade, is what we are really interested in. And therefore, what you study as dependent variable is this promotion, that is, what pay grade the manager is assigning you to, correct?
1: That's right. So, the main outcome in the paper we use is the one we chose because it's most correlated with movement along the corporate ladder and correspondingly a very close measure of what they actually get take home in in pay. So for example, like a pay grade in an American corporate context would be like moving from a VP to an an SVP and then an EVP. So, you know, you, you move up these corporate ladders and at each point in the corporate ladder, there is a pay band, you know, so a minimum and a maximum that you can earn. And so what we find is, you know, one point increase or so one level increase in a pay grade corresponds to about a 20% increase in your salary.
0: Okay. So how do you measure who is the manager of what worker?
1: Oh, so when we receive a an org chart from the firm, that org chart will describe the unit that a person is affiliated with so within a commercial bank, there'll be a unit for economic analysis. And if, there, if you look at the titles of the people who are in the economic analysis unit, one person will be either the director or the manager of that unit. And so we're using the position title in the unit to figure out who is guiding the other workers. And to check this, we actually, since we were very connected to the actual organization, we just had people answer questions. So we asked the question, who is the person who's most responsible for your performance rating and your promotion? And then they will indicate which person of a list is that person. So we would cross-check the way we assigned manager
0: Okay, so as we said earlier, the paper has two parts. The first one examines the causal effect of the manager's gender on the worker's increasing pay grade differentially by the worker's gender. And then the second part is the one that looks at, at the mechanism. Just focusing on the first part, how do you identify this effect of the manager's gender on the workers' outcomes?
1: Okay, so in this organization, managers rotate as part of their own career trajectory. And they rotate across teams inside the organization so that they can get experience working in different divisions. You know, So there'll be like a risk division, an IT division, a human versus division. And as these managers are rotating... This allows us to use those rotations as an exogenous source of variation. So, you know, a manager rotates from team A to team B and takes over all the employees in team B. Then we can look to see how are the men and women in team B differentially affected, depending on the gender of the manager that they just got assigned. Uh, So the employees don't have any control about the gender of the manager that they get in this instance. And, um, and that's very important. So we can see that men and women look like they're on a very similar career trajectory leading up to the new manager that takes over their team. And then after the new manager takes over, we can compare men who were assigned a male manager to men who were assigned a female manager. And we can also compare them to women who were assigned a male manager. And so what we do in the papers, look at this double difference. How does a male employee assigned a male manager relative to a female manager compared to a female employee assigned a male manager relative to a female manager. And so that's how we start. That's that, That's the causal identification strategy. And then we can do many robustness checks that I'm happy to talk about.
0: So just to be clear, you are exploiting the changes of a worker's manager or the, the changes in the gender of a worker's manager that come exclusively because the manager switch, Right. Never because the worker switch. Because given that the worker is the individual on which the left-hand side variable, the outcome variable is based, we want things that are as exogenous as possible to that individual. That's right. Therefore, it's not that the worker did well and therefore suddenly was put into a better team as a result of doing well, in which case we will be worried about a different career trajectory of the worker, but it's something that just happens to happen to the team on which that worker is based. That has to do, okay, with the with change in manager, and that is therefore a little bit more exogenous. Correct. Right. You said you focus on that uh, double difference, okay? Just to, because this double difference is essentially what you exploit throughout the whole paper. This is the change in the gender of a manager, say from female to male, in terms of how it differentially affects male workers relative to female workers. So everything that we're going to say from now on is based on that double difference.
1: That's right.
0: How do you check that it is indeed the case that these changes are exogenous to the pay grades or the changes in pay grades of the workers themselves differentially for male workers and female workers?
1: Right. Well, I mean, the premise for doing this is because we knew something about how the organization actually did rotate man. So, you know, it's not that we could go in there and roll a dice and assign somebody at random to another team, but we did know from institutional details that um, these managers' assignments were not conditional on characteristics of the team, but you know the best empirical check for this question of the exogeneity is what uh, what I think you know we use in jargon in economics is the parallel trends assumption, which is that the employees of the teams that eventually get a male manager taking over versus a female manager taking over they look very similar. So like the career paths of the men and women in those two teams essentially look like they're identical leading up to the transition.
0: And it is only after the transition, and this will be your first baseline result that they start to diverge. Can you tell us a little bit about the magnitudes of this divergence?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so socializing takes some time so and you know everyone's up for promotion approximately once a year and so what happens is that you know at the one quarter after the transition you see a small statistically significant but small increase in the pay grade by the time you get to one between one and two years out the males uh, will have increased their pay grade by about 0.55 pay grades beyond where women have gone. So that translates into about a a 13% increase in salary. And as I mentioned, on average, um, people are earning probably a 20% increase in pay grade over two years. So that 13% boost is actually very large relative to just the baseline rate of of increases in pay that we see over time.
0: And this explains A relatively large proportion of the overall gender gap that you observe in the organization. In terms of magnitude, that's a relatively big number.
1: That's right. So, if you were to shut down the male to male advantage, if you were to, so male employees have male managers two thirds of the time. So, if you were to basically shut down that advantage that they get from those male managers, we can recalculate what the pay gap would be. So the unconditional pay gap is about 0.9 pay grades. And then, you know, if you you prevent the male managers from giving that 0.55 boost to the male employees only, then the unconditional pay gap drops to about 0.4. So when I say a third of the gender gap, actually I'm being I'm underestimating it. You know, technically we calculated shutting it down would reduce the the pay gap by uh, 40%.
0: Okay. So at this point, we can tell that there seems to be an effect of gender. Uh, However, there are many, many reasons as to why male managers may be more likely to promote male workers. One of them is that they like them. Another is that they think that they are smarter. Another is that whenever they come to bargain for promotion, they are more receptive to listening to them. Now, your explanation is the one that you were telling us earlier about the fact that the socialization is more likely to happen within gender than across gender. What type of evidence do you have uh, for this specific mechanism?
1: Well, so, I mean, the first piece of evidence that I would like to point to is just that this male to male advantage that I described is entirely shut down or disappears when the type of positions that we look at introduce some geographic distance between the manager and employee. So much like pandemic times, some jobs are actually carried out remotely, either because people are doing sales in different locations than the manager, or because say like there are phone calls involved and the manager wants to be located at headquarters rather than um, in a branch. For a number of reasons, we have positions where there's distance between the manager and employee. And in fact, we even have the seating plan so we can look at people who are basically on a different floor. And what we see is that this geographic distance has a huge impact on whether or not male employees have an advantage with uh, their male manager. So that was sort of the first hint that the face-to-face interactions are really what's critical.
0: A lot of these face-to-face interactions or not are determined by the type of job that these workers do. Is it possible that workers who are not sitting alongside their managers happen to have jobs for which more objective measures of performance are available and therefore for which there is less of of a subjective component that, that can be influenced less by the preferences of the manager?
1: Yes. So that you're, you're, you're right that the types of jobs that are more remote uh, could be different along other dimensions as well. So, you know, we are able to see many aspects of the job. And so we can sort of, we can just reweight the characteristics of the job and rerun the analysis. But, you know, so we, we, to, to the extent that we can observe differences about the job, we can control for them. And, and we don't find that it affects this result that I described to you. But you're totally right that in, in spirit they, they could be different. And so that's why we don't stop with just that result. You know, we also ask directly of the employees and the managers, how much time do you spend socializing together? And what we can do is we can basically rerun the same kind of event study analysis that I described to you and say, well, when a male employee gets paired with a male manager, what else happens to the social interactions that they engage in? And so perhaps you might find even more convincing the fact that when a male gets paired with a male manager relative to a male that gets paired with a female manager or women who get paired with a male manager, they increase the share of breaks that they take with their manager by about 20 percentage points. And that's off a base of about 30 percentage points. So it's a a massive increase in just the share of breaks that they spend together.
0: This is the way that typically economists operate. That is, we have one initial baseline effect that is often, hopefully at least, very well identified, uh, as it is the case here. Then typically the mechanism is based on heterogeneity or additional dependent variables. And the second step typically has less of a magic bullet on it. But there is an accumulation of evidence that together becomes very persuasive. You told us first, well, it seems that uh, the effect is shut down where there's no face-to-face interaction. I criticized it. Then you gave me something else, which is that what well, it seems that mechanism through which your stories should operate, which is the taking the breaks together is also present in your data.
1: Yeah, well, let me try one more on you. Um, so I think like, you know, the perfect experiment would be where we essentially randomize the share breaks that people can spend together and see if that, Directly affects the time that male, male managers spend with their male employees, and their and then the promotion rate. And so we do try to do just that, and we do it by looking at the smoking status of employees. And the hypothesis here is that if you're a smoker, you were a smoker before you became you ever met the manager, and the manager is also a smoker, a smoker before he ever met the employee, and they get paired together by virtue of having to take more smoking breaks together, they will also spend more time socializing. And so you know, we can see that when a smoker is paired with a, another smoker in this way, they do also increase the share breaks they take together by a similar magnitude as it turns out. And this is coincidence, but they increase the share breaks by about 27 percentage points. So slightly more than just a male employee getting paired with a male manager. And we see a very similar trajectory in their promotion path as we saw when a male employee got paired with a male manager.
0: What you're telling me now is that you have very well identified the effect of being co-smokers on promotion. And this is in some sense, like an alternative way of thinking about how smooshing or the opportunity for social interactions works in this organization. Right now, At this point, you haven't told us whether this contributes to the gender gap or not. But it turns out that actually, in this organization, it contributes a lot to the gender gap. Why?
1: So it's putting all the pieces together. I think what we can say with uh, strong confidence is that essentially taking more breaks together through smoking leads to a similar boost in promotions as, say, a male employee getting paired with a male manager. And we can say with confidence that the gender of the manager matters for the promotion of a male employee. And I think what you're driving at here is that, you know, there is no, you know, we cannot cross-randomize both the gender and the socialization in a way that would basically seal the coffin in terms of like socializing is the only thing that matters when it comes to the gender Advantage. So, I, I think there's probably still room for other things to be contributing to, you know, a male. The reasons why a male employee gets promoted more quickly under a male manager. Um, I just think that a likely channel that matters is going to be whether they're face to face, and probably the face to face has to do with the actual social times together.
0: What I was trying to get at is the fact that I'm thinking: Why is it the case that? male managers will want to socialize more with male workers.
1: Ah, gosh, I, I wish I knew the answer to that. Yeah, so there's...
0: <laughs> right, no, so so one possibility is that they like to play golf together or do sports that are maybe male-centric or do activities that... What I was trying to get at is that at something that I find very interesting about this organization, which is uh, the fact that the uh, men are the only ones who smoke here. Right. So, one avenue for differential opportunities for socializing, specifically within gender rather than across gender, is the fact that there is only one gender that smokes and smoking breaks is a great opportunity for socialization
1: in the organization. Yeah. But I don't think that that's coincidence. I, I my, this is me talking as an, an observer rather than as a researcher at this point. But I mean, I don't think it's coincidence that the types of, practices in a workplace that are considered acceptable and are promoted tend to be skewed towards activities that the leadership also do. So, you know, in this organization, like many, like you know, women are the are very small minority of the C-suite, uh, you know, the chairman of the board is a smoker. And so When you look at when you visit this commercial bank, like the first thing you notice is that the most beautiful parts of the building, you know, the rooftop all have ashtrays set up. And I just think in general, what, what we see is that tolerance for and advocates for the types of social breaks that are really enjoyed by the leadership are the ones that you'll see throughout the organization.
0: Why do women not start smoking, though?
1: I think some of them do. So if you look at smoking rates of of women, it's very, very small overall, so maybe less than 5%. But if you look at the very top of the organization, like the C-suite, the two women who were in the C-suite, they were smokers. So I think there is pressure to pick up these types of activities, especially for those who are trying to make deals at the very top. But I think, you know, the costs of smoking are huge. And so <laughs> yes, if, it's of, <laughs> if it's not part of your, uh, you know, everyday, you know, unless the benefits are, are really strong, I think, you know, like for women, it's neither socially acceptable nor is it, it healthy. So it's not so surprising that the rates are low.
0: Okay, so there is an effect of the manager's gender. We have uh, three pieces of evidence together, very persuasive that it seems that this effect seems to be operating through the mechanism of the differential uh, opportunities for socialization. What I still don't understand at this point is why is it, or how is it, that managers will be more likely to promote those employees with whom they have socialized more? Right,
1: so there are actually many different theories here. So if I understood your question right, your your question is sort of conditional on socializing more, you know, why does that actually generate a promotion uh, or increase the promotion likelihood? And I think there are many good hypotheses for this and I'll describe them and then we can talk about which is most likely. But, you know, one would be that if you spend time socializing with someone, you have them front of mind. And so, you know, when it comes time to promotion, you think of who, who to promote, you know, you, you just have this salience bias of, like, the person's face who you were just spending time with. Another would be that, you know, you start to learn a lot about that person. And, uh, you know, so it, it could be that there are characteristics that come through that make you, as a manager, realize, you know, that this person is more likely suited for the top position. And we can only really bring some evidence. By the way, I'm going to open the floor to you to, if you have others, other ideas in mind. But you know, the only piece of evidence that we have to sort of tease apart between these two different reasons for it is the fact that we don't see a boost in sales revenue that follows the promotion of a particular male employee by a male manager, or on average. Uh, so, so in essence, you know, on average, it doesn't appear that the men or the male managers are promoting. Male employees who are also better able to generate that kind of revenue for the firm. That's, but you know, there, and, and presumably there are other ideas as well. So let me open the floor to you.
0: No, I, I can only parrot the ideas that you have yourself in the paper, <laughs> some of which you have not mentioned just now, which are that male managers may be more willing to invest in their male employees, right, is to female employees. They may provide more training. They may give them be- better tasks. These are things that you mentioned yourself in the paper. These are things that will make the worker better and therefore make the worker be more likely to deserve the promotion as a result of being a better worker. Then you have the other set of explanations whereby the worker is not better, but the worker is more likely to be promoted with the same type of ability or performance or whatever. And you have some findings uh, with respect to, say, sales revenue that show that the workers are actually not better along the dimensions that you can measure. Therefore, we have to think that favoritism of the type of just liking that worker more and being more more willing to favor that worker is a type of explanation that makes sense here, right? This is... is, uh, I mean your your interpretation.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So I mean, I'm happy to elaborate on that, but I think you did a wonderful job explaining it. So one thing
0: that I was thinking about reading the paper is that the policy implications seem relatively straightforward here. That is, if we are worried about waste of female talent because they get passed over by less able male colleagues, I think that a change of routines that tries to incentivize. You know, socialization that is failure between managers and their workers would seem something that is relatively easy to do. Have you tried to suggest this or is this something that they have thought at all about or are they worried about this problem?
1: Well, Jordi, what do you have in mind exactly?
0: It is the case that if I think, I am obviously not familiar with this East Asian country, but it is the case that if I think about, say, Western societies in the 50s, Typically, like the extreme will be the workers, say, in a professional services firm, take their clients to places that are very hostile to women. And therefore, putting a policy that other type of socialization activities are encouraged, that will obviously make the playground fair for for women. Something along these lines seems relatively easy to implement in this organization as well.
1: I think that the, the sort of like extreme measures that shut down socialization seem doable. I mean, of course, like we've seen in the pandemic, that most work or a lot of work can be done remotely. You know, we see direct evidence of that in our data that that tends to shut down the, the message. I think going the other direction, trying to encourage socialization is actually trickier because just, you know, making the right environment for socializing doesn't actually necessarily level the playing field you know it might just make it it might, it might exacerbate how much time men spend with each other but i mean maybe you have good ideas there i would have said that the sort of the simplest policy that the firm could put in place to sort of counteract this would be just increasing the number of people who had to sign off on the promotion you know so if every committee had you know a male and a female that alone would have severed the importance of any one particular personal tie
0: So I guess that the question here is how much actual information is in the subjective performance of the manager, which we don't know. It is possible that in the presence of this bias, restricting the ability of managers to decide is still hugely damaging because they are the ones who know best their workers. Or it is possible that it's everything is noise <laughs> in addition to the bias it's all random right, right, right. Uh, in which case there will be essentially zero cost to what you are proposing yeah.
1: no that's a that's a great point and i think there's great there's some good work out there to suggest that there's this trade-off that you describe where bias comes along with a deep knowledge of what workers are doing and who is the right person uh and so you can you can obviously you can defer to someone who's less expert and less biased but you know the, those those trade-offs are important to consider Thank you very much, Zoe. Oh, thank you very much, Jordi. It's been a pleasure.
0: My guest today has been Zoe Cullen. My name is Jordi Blanesi-Vidal, and this is The Visible Hand Podcast. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to some of the other papers that we discussed, introductory music and logos selected by Aitana
1: Ablanesiso. This episode has been produced by Anderson Tan.